And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Miller. Everyone, I'm Brad Keston. And my name is Jenny Wilson. This is Stacey Heather Tolkien. Hi, my name is Angela Lee Sloan, also known as the voice of Lucy. The voice of Charlie Brown. The voice of Sally Brown. It's Peppermint Patty. The voice of Linus on Peanuts. Derek Mackey with Cool Water Productions LLC and Sam Mason are bringing you the first virtual live autograph signing event ever. This is your chance to add our autographs to your collection. We have pictures, Funko Pops, Super 7 figures, private one-on-one -on -one video chats, and a group panel. You can find all the information on any of our social media pages just by searching at Peanuts Reunion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can actually also order tickets to our October 10th two-part event on inhouse-con.com. The first part of the event will be the one-on-one -on -one video chats and Peanuts panel hosted by Derek Mackey from 12 to 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. Then you can go over to our Facebook page and watch us sign your items live hosted by Sam Mason. We also have a, uh, a mail-in service where you can send in your items and have them signed by us. Or you can buy one or more of our items that we have for pre-sale. Starting now! The pre-sale items are limited in number, so get yours today. Brad Keston, voice of Charlie Brown. Sally Brown. This is Linus. So, join us October 10th. We can't wait to see you there, and thanks so much. And I'd like to thank you for being a Peanuts fan. Thanking you for being a Peanuts fan. I'd really like to thank you for being a Peanuts fan. This is Peppermint Patty, and I would like to thank you for being a Peanuts fan. David K. Montoya. All right, gang, welcome back to another week full of nerdy delicious. Yes, I said nerdy delicious. Get on down with that. Some new nerd news is out. But uh, before we get into the nerd news, we've got a couple things going on right now uh, that, well, let me take care of housekeeping first and then we'll move into the next segment. I'm already 33 seconds in and getting ahead of myself. Okay, uh, housekeeping for this week. If you are a finalist for the Open Contract Challenge today, as you're listening to this, September 30th, you have until 11.59 p.m. to submit your final draft so we can move on with the finale and figure out who is going to win the contract for this year's open contract challenge and the winner gets some cash they get a book deal they get an electronic book deal they get flown to pce they get some books there to sell and it's all a good time so you don't want to miss out on that uh there's there's still time 11:59 here in california that's how we're set it okay second thing is is also our newly acquired brand, Zombie Work Publication, our deadline is today as well, September 31st. No, there is no September 31st. Good grief. I was thinking about Halloween. Um, so September 30th today, 
same process, 11.59. I, I literally give them right to the end of the, you know, the day to turn it in. And uh, we've accumulated a great number of submissions. And we are going to start going through them and expect to have a acceptance or rejection letter within, oh, I would say, maybe within the next week or two. And that's pretty much it. Uh, other than we, we can confirm that Elise Boffman, who is the voice of Pan... In Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball ZT, Dragon Ball, if there's Pan in it, it's her. She has signed the dotted line, and she will be at Jaiselmon Pop Culture Expo 2021, March 13th, 2021. Start time, special needs get to come in an hour early at 9 o'clock. Doors open to the general public at 10. Show ends around 5-ish. Wrestling starts in at, from that around 5 to 6. And you can check out more information as it comes in, neither on the Facebook, Twitter page. You can always, you know, search Jaiselmon's Pop Culture Expo, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N, Pop Culture Expo. And you can go to PCEHD.com for more news that's developing. Okay, so that is all of the housekeeping. Now... This conversation actually started earlier today. Uh, I sent a text message to a good friend of mine. I've known him, God, for at least 25 years. One, the only person that I maybe know more and longer than Russo. Um, and what it, it pertained to was because I've got so much going on and keep your ears open for what's going to come on and what's going on. Uh, I'm just running out of time in a 24-hour period, so I'm bringing in more help. And this uh, gentleman, I, I when we talked about Open Contract Challenge, which we will talk about here on the show, but um, we just kind of chit-chatted, and I was giving him more information about his role if he were to take the, the position. And uh, I figured, you know, you know, he, he has not done a podcast ever that I know of, and, uh, you know, I have a thing about putting my friends on here, so, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one of my oldest and dearest friends, literally back when we were seniors in high school is when we met, that's 1994, I think, 93, Mr. Kyle Dobbs, welcome, sir, hello, how are you guys doing? So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's something that's been coming uh, for a while now. Uh, I've I've actually pondered this idea before because I again I, I have my friends on the show at least one friend per per season, and um, we we've known each other for a while, and uh, you know life and and destiny kind of take takes us you know. We started at Mojave, and then we kind of separated off, and then came back together. Uh, you know, now, well, I would have probably, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, okay, before we jump anything, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, where you come from, and we'll go from there. Well, I'm Kyle Dobbs. Jay, and I have been friends since 93, I think it was. Anyways, my major in college is secondary English education, 
And I have David to thank for that because I never would have got into writing had it not been for our association with comic books. Oh, yes, the comic books. We'll get into that, definitely. Now, we, okay, I don't know if I actually talked about this publicly. Um, I went to a continuation school uh, at my senior year, and um, that's where we met. Now, I went to a continuation school because I was just rebelling. I wasn't being a good student. What? But you had a different reason for being there. What was your reason? I had a difficulty in school because at the moment I was epileptic. And epilepsy just made life complicated. Oh, I can only imagine. Well, actually, I do. I, can, I remember one thing, and we were young, and... We were riding the bus home, and the bus driver's like, okay, everybody, light them up. So people were, like, smoking weed and smoking cigarettes, and I remember that actually triggered a seizure. And uh, you had got off the bus, and you had a seizure, if I remember right. Do you remember that? Uh, I remember getting off the bus, but I don't think it was because I had a seizure. I was too afraid of having a seizure. Because at the moment, I didn't know what would or would not trigger a seizure. Now, another interesting thing is that when I met you, I mean, now you are a writer and an editor, but now you, or not now, but then you weren't a writer and editor. In fact, you hated English, if I remember correctly. Oh, you, were, I, you were an artist. Oh, I was okay. I, I can't say I was the greatest artist, but I'm just scribbling here and there for you, but I hated writing. I absolutely disgust. I was disgusted with literature because I had no idea what literature really was. My comprehension of literature wasn't what it is today. Oh, that's very true. But you're very educated now. I can still make some improvements. <laughs> So what was – okay, we we were fortunate enough to be in the boom of the independent surge, which was in, what, 92 when Image hit the scene. And they kind of changed the world with how comic books were made. They got rid of the comic code authority. Uh, you know, they, they went darker. They went deeper um, than mainstream comics. And I remember that that was a big influence on both of us. I mean, I, I at the time, I was still a huge Marvel head. I, I, to this day, I'm still a big X-Men fan. But as far as, like, drafting ideas and coming up with uh, concepts, that was kind of like the, the mimic was through image. Would you agree? broaden my view on comic books. Comic books such as Gen 13, Witchblade, uh, The Wildcats, you know, Rob Lee, um, Todd McFarlane, Spawn, I mean, that made the biggest effect on everything. Um... I remember Max. 
that that big old purple creature with the the orange or yellow horns. Oh yes, yes, Max. I remember that too. Yeah, vaguely, but that just wasn't one of them. The pit is one of them that really got my attention. Do you remember the pit? Which uh, pit? Pit, pit. Yeah, yeah. That was before Witchblade. I remember you became a big Witchblade fan, but Pit was the first one. Um, yeah, Del Kion. Right. I, I didn't know who the artist was. I just I was fascinated with the pit because of how it took a lot of comic book characters to another level. I I get that. Um. So, at what point did you decide that you wanted to be an artist? Well, I didn't really think of being an artist until you and I got acquainted in high school. And you introduced me to comic books, and it just fascinated me. I was I was a – let's just say I was kind of a hippie in high school. I didn't, I didn't smoke pot or anything, but I was kind of retro with art. Yes, yes, very much so. Um... I remember we had what was it a math class or an English yeah. class or was it was I think it was math class we, wasn't it Yeah we had a math class and we were always scribbling on something and you were at the moment pondering on the idea of uh, the M squad Gosh I haven't heard that in a long time yes M squad M squad and the apocalypse No apocalypse M Squad and the Apocalypse. Don't sue me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You fascinated me with your imagination. I mean, you you opened up a lot of doors for me to think openly on everything. It was uh, it was a great time. It was, uh, you know, people talk about their their time in in history, especially comic book fans you know they're like oh my time's the best in history and i know the funny thing is is a lot of people talk really negative in about the 90s but to be a fan of that medium in the 1990s i think was a great time because all this new content was coming out you know the first time the boundaries were being pushed exactly now, after high school, when did you graduate high school? I graduated in 94. 94, okay. Um, what, where did you go after that? Because I know there was a, a separation of like at least a year or so. Um, yeah. No, it was longer than that because we didn't move out there until 97. Um, and I say we, Lacey, my, my wife and I, we had moved out to Arkansas and that's when we reconnected. This was exactly. before the internet, too, kids. We were literally we were old fashioned pen and paper, popping it in the mailbox and mailing. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. So between that period of of time, from graduating to moving to Arkansas, which we'll move to next, um, what were you doing in that time? Well, I was trying to attend classes at the junior college of Victorville. Oh, you're doing VVC. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then 
you you came to I, I don't remember exactly what when I know it was in ninety seven because I was like twenty. Yeah, I don't I don't remember when it was either. I just recall us talking over the phone a lot about getting the M squad started. Yes. And uh at, at some point we had agreed that you know to come and and move in with us and uh that was that was unique on a lot of different levels because not only like on a creative because we were constantly creative i remember we had an office we'd get up and you know we'd just go straight to work in the office which was a blast i remember that um what was some of your thoughts during that time do you remember much of that Oh, I enjoyed every bit of it, but at the time, I was still having trouble with epilepsy, so it, it, epilepsy affected me mentally in being an artist to truly be what I wanted to be, right. um, but I, as I was drawing for you and learning for the first time to, to write off of a, to draw off of a script, I was encou- encountering new challenges for the first time. Because when you're drawing for yourself, you do whatever your imagination is. Right. Rather than having to draw according to a script, block by block. And so it was a series of challenges to learn from. So from that point, after you, you left Arkansas and you moved to Oklahoma, because initially that's where you and your family are from, or, or from Oklahoma. Yes. Um. At what point after you moved back there did you decide that you you or not even decide that it was like more of a realization that you were interested in literature? I was probably twenty three at the time I realized I wanted to write, and the more I wrote, the more I realized what I did not learn, and it was this realization of what I had not learned in high school, why I chose to become an English teacher. Right, right. Now, before we jump into the writing part, one of the things that absolutely always fascinated me was Kyle is one of those people who's ambidextrous. And not only is he ambidextrous in writing his name or writing words, which I remember you could actually write the words backwards in in a continuum, but you could also hold two pencils at the same time and work on the same drawing with both hands at the same time. I remember that blew me away. Well, I haven't done that in decades. But, <laughs> but yeah, just out of boredom, I draw with both hands. Yeah, get it done half the amount of time. I have a picture somewhere, um, probably in storage, that is. It's of you, and you're sitting on the couch, and you've got a pencil of both. Um, oh, what, who were you drawing? I believe you're drawing a hardball, which was the female character. And uh, I have a picture of that still. It's somewhere around here. I have to find it. But okay, so you decided that you wanted to to write. Was it just, was it all, what happened to that that passion for drawing did it just kind of fade off or well, replaced 
I realized that drawing could only go so far with expression and words could say everything you wanted to put into a picture. Right. And the ability to narrate and tell a story or show it were the things that really drew my attention toward writing. I kept on drawing, but I realized drawing could only go so far with the writer's, well, the artist's ability to draw. You know, a writer can go farther with description. Right. That makes sense. That that actually makes sense. Um, now, what was because you're a huge literary fan too. At what point did you become interested in in classic literature? I didn't really know what literature I wanted until I got into college. And my introduction to classic literature fascinated me because I came across authors I had never heard of. Uh, 19th century, 18th century, 17th century literature. Original literature that was just mind-boggling because of the depth at which the narrators spoke. Many authors of the past are those whom we depend on for today's literature because we're replicating everything that had once or has already been written. Nothing is really new. And the realization of everything being a duplicate of what's already been written made me grasp classic literature. Theodore Dostoevsky, Samuel Lincoln Clemens, also known as Mark Twain. Then you have Elizabeth Bishop, from 20th century, or I can go on and on and on of all the writers who are encouraging me to write what I write. But when a person really realizes he or she has one's writing based on what they've accommodated, or well, what I'm trying to explain is when they come across literature that is encouraging for them to write as a specific type of writer. So who is your favorite author, writer, author? Who is your favorite? Um, well, my favorites are actually mid-20th century authors. I'd say William Faulkner, Ernest Hemingway, and Shirley Jackson are my favorite three. Yes. Now... How far into your studies was it that you decided that you wanted to try to give your, your give it a go at crafting, at, at writing? Well, the writing is why I chose to become a teacher. I wanted to teach my students what my teachers failed to teach me. And part of being a teacher, it was to teach creative writing, to show versus telling um, the very the variations in how a story can be written, as well as poetry. Yes, very true, very true. Now, what was the first thing that you've written creatively? Oh goodness, my first attempt at writing a novel, I still have it, but it was based off of comic book characters and. 
is kind of com combining spawn with the darkness. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll ever finish that one. Down there I started. Sounds interesting, you know. Because I remember, I remember the darkness. Yeah, that was a Mark Silvestri. Yes. Creation. Yeah, that came out in Witchblade number 10 for episode zero. But anyways, yeah, I mean, think of it as a combination of the spawn and the Witchblade and the darkness all combined into one to where a character who is unimaginably powerful yet has the size of the body eight times the size of a normal person it just what I'm trying to say is it's just a comic book with words but you know rule, writing rule number one in writing is write what you know and at the time that's what you knew you knew comic books so that makes perfect sense I mean especially now in today's market um with the comic books that are created, there's really not that much writing. Now, back when I was getting into writing, and I actually did this, I copied every single word from a comic book onto lined paper, college ruled, and it equivalated to one page of dialogue or narration was one page of comic books. And that is not the case anymore. Uh, other than, you know, you, your, your copious amount of onomatopoeias, which drive me nuts, um, <laughs> there's really not that much reading involved. It's, it's basically all art-driven. So I can kind of see why... Well, because what I'm getting at is that they're releasing, like, novels of comic book characters, uh, specifically that's coming to mind is the whole Avengers thing. You know, they have the Avenger novels that are actual novels. They have Iron Man novels that are actual novels, you know? Um, so it, that might be actually a market that you might think about because that, that is very plausible in, t in today's reality because, well, I mean, again, I don't know how long it's been since you've read a comic, but, it's it's something you were ahead of the game to be honest with you. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, when I started writing, all I knew at the moment were comic books, and all I had ever really read truly were comic book scripts. So my idea of narrating wasn't what it is today. And you might say I was writing probably for a fourth or fifth grade audience. <laughs> versus what I am writing now because my comprehension in literature just wasn't what it is. Right. Now, we've actually discussed this. We've been discussing this for a while is um, you've been working on a, a, a book that I think is a, a fantastic mashup uh, to use today's terminology. Um, Tell the listeners a little bit about what you're working on as far as your book-wise. What I'm currently writing is a book titled The Hessian of the Hollow. Now, The Hessian of the Hollow 
is another way of saying the headless horseman. Right. Because he was a headless Hessian of the hollow, a sleepy hollow. Anyways, what my story is, is a modernization of classic literature brought to the present. And when I say modernization of classic literature, I'm talking not only about literature going clear back to Shakespeare, but we're also going back to Beowulf. We're going into pre-Shakespearean literature, but having it modernized. Because I have a story, well, think of this one here. If Walt Whitman had described it, he had described it as he described his book of poetry, the Leaves of Grass, which he calls a nation of nations and a breed of breeds for his definition of America. Well, what I'm writing now is a novel of novels, a play of plays, a story of stories, and a poem of poems. So it helps to be open-minded with literature to understand how I have authors, poets, playwriters, and story writers playing parts based on the lives they lived as well as what they have written. For example, um, Lord Byron's character, Manfred, who gave his soul to the devil for knowledge, happens to be part of the story because he's one of the characters. He just happens to be Lord Byron's assistant. And Mephistopheles, I think is his name. I'll have to look that up. He's a character also in the story, but he's... A little devil in disguise of a poodle. Like Anyways, you'll have to look like you'll have to look into characters. What I'm trying to say here is that this is a story that's deep in symbolism. Every character has one's role based on symbolism. I think that's what makes it fun. I've I've had the opportunity to to read the, the chapters after they develop and um well, the the fun thing is, is that you, if you are deep into liter- literature, you'll catch what you're putting out. You'll catch the the intentions behind the characters that you've developed and the connection to their real life persona. Um, but at the same time, for someone that is not into literature, it's a story solid enough. I, well, I think it's a suspense. Is would you say it's a suspense, or would you say it a mystery? Uh, I'd say it's a combination of mystery. It's a horrific, horrifying mystery. Is what it is. A mystery horror combination. But I, I think it's it's just the right amount that if someone walks into it and doesn't know these characters. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, other than like Poe and Hemingway, you, you know, pretty much that's anybody knows who they are. Uh, you know, Shirley Jackson or Samuel Clemens, you know, but the more in-depth, the more obscure characters that's used, they may not know about them, but the story is intriguing and engrossing enough to pull them along and, and get you to the finish line. Now, where are you at? As far as the finish line, where you, how far are you away from there? Oh my goodness! Well, I've I've written the first nine chapters, and I've completed the last five chapters. So it's that spot in between there where I'm having to go back to some of the chapters I've 
written to rewrite them to correlate with what I have for the conclusion. Right. So, yeah, I still have five chapters remaining that are going to be the most difficult to write accurately without having to rewrite everything else. So maybe maybe another year, you think? Possibly. Possibly another year. Some of these chapters, they just come out with a flow, and some of them are just, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with these characters here? How am I going to fit this plot into this story? Oh, I totally because, <laughs> Yeah. Well, for example, I had to go back and put in a chapter that I had skipped that has Elizabeth Bishop and Walt Whit or Elizabeth Bishop and Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway, working together on their introduction to the story because they're going into a part of Missouri, a little imaginary town created by William Faulkner that doesn't even exist. I had to look it up. But they're going into there, and this is where Elizabeth Bishop opens up about being homosexual. She, she and uh, Walt Whitman are two characters in my story who are homosexual. But here she talks about her actual affairs she had in life. And she talks to Hemingway about her relationship collapsing and everything. And Hemingway, of course, who had four marriages, discusses his problems with marriage, too. So I had to fit, I had to find somewhere, somehow, to fit information like this that's actually about the true characters themselves in life. Right. Well, that and, and that type of thing, you know, whether it's it's uh, you know having four marriages and, and having a rough time about it, or coming out of the closet, that is a real life relatable subject for the readers too. Exactly. So well. The, but. It, it, I needed to do this in order for them to understand why Hemingway and Bishop both, well, I don't want to tell the ending of my story, but if anybody knows why they committed suicide, anyways, it, it's going to fall into the story. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I look forward to reading the, the finished version. Um, I have already said, you know, we've we've discussed this many years ago, um, that I will be publishing it once it's finished. Um, so keep your eyes out for that. So, what are you doing creatively right now? Well, right now, creatively, I'm I'm building projects. Uh, we didn't talk about my. Career as a welder, do you believe? No, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm building. I'm building ideas that I've had for a long time on uh, tables or desks, you might say, for my future office. Because you know, you just can't find what you really want when you go to buy stuff. So yeah, I build furniture of certain things. Yeah, you, if you can't find it. If you can't find it, yeah, yeah. If you can't find it, build it. So, what is what is the the path, the career of a writer for you? Oh my goodness, it's a roller coaster of ex 
of expressions. It's a roller coaster of learning from your experiences in writing because you never. It's kind of like Elizabeth Bishop's Man Moth. It took her 20 years to write that one poem. 20 years to write one poem. Wow. So, it, not everybody writes the same way. And not everybody, not everybody writes the same pace on how characters are built or plotted. You know, we're all different in how we think. Well, yeah. So I don't, I don't know, I don't know how long it's going to take for me to finish this novel, to tell you the truth, because when I get my opportunities to work on it, it doesn't always fall into place. I might actually spend a half a day having to distract myself just so my mind will plot stuff out for me. Right. Yeah. Kind of get your mindset into it. Exactly. If I force myself to write it, it doesn't happen. I've so, learned that. So living in Oklahoma, do you, do you feel that it helps you creatively? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that really. Because sometimes I have to go places to get the vibe to write. I don't always have that vibe here in the middle of nowhere in a little town. Literally, it's a ghost town. Or not, let me rephrase it: not a ghost town, but it's a, not far from it in population-wise. Twenty-five hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I I. I'm not sure where Prescott, where we used to live. Uh, I know it's in the, like maybe thousands now. It's yeah. pretty small. But um, mm -hmm. so what do you do as far as when you sit down and write? Where do you go? What? Where does your mind go to to get that vibe to write, to be inspired, to you know, to go into another world essentially and put it down on paper? Sometimes I have to read other literature to open it up because when I get into that, when I get into the mental state of openness, that's when I really have my writing click. It seems that I just have to read a piece of literature to open it up, and it, it doesn't always happen the same way. Sometimes a movie, a movie might do it sometimes, too. I'll, I'll watch a movie, and I'll see a scene that just opens up ideas of what I could do with it with my story. Or other stories, I should say. Now, I am, Go ahead. Oh, I, I, I am working on two novels, actually, not just one. But, yeah, the other one, I don't know if I want to talk about it now. Okay. Um yeah, well, this is uh, a PG show. <laughs> exactly. That's why I don't want to talk about that one. Yeah. No, I, I know. I know about it. Um, that's why I was focusing on this one. Um, now, with movies, what kind of movies do you find inspire you? In many cases, it's science fiction. I don't know why, but science fiction movies such as. Uh, oh goodness, I went blank. Uh, it's okay. Um, yeah, um, 
a lot of movies that are actually based on novels, I'll watch them and read the actual novel and then watch a movie, and then I'll, it'll click on what the actual novel was trying to say, but should have been written different ways. Interesting. That's I'm pretty an sure, interesting way to look at it. I'm pretty sure you've had the same encounters. But sometimes those, I, those little moments are what give me ideas of what to write. I did that recently. I watched – well, first I read uh, Time Machine, H.G. Wells' Time Machine, and then I, I watched the original <laughs> version of it, the 1961. And, uh, oh, my. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that groan pretty much explained it all. Yeah. Uh, I haven't watched the new one yet. I don't know if I have the courage to I've, do that. I've seen the new one. I could not sit through the old one. I tried the black and whites. I don't get along with them. Those movies are just too far in the past. Uh, well, yeah, my son's like that. He, he doesn't like older I, movies. But you know, I love I, I love classics. Don't get me wrong. But when you get into the black and white and they're having to read the script, I'll fall asleep. Now, going back to comic books, are you reading comics right now? To tell you the truth, I haven't read a comic book in many years. When Mark Silvestri, or not Mark Silvestri, I'm sorry, Michael Turner. Mike Turner, uh huh. When he, when he passed away, that's when I had said goodbye to comic books because Witchblade was never the same again. Oh, wow. That he, was 90-something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Or, I mean, I still, I still collect Well, I don't – to tell you the truth, I can't remember when he passed away. I just know that I have up to Witchblade 21 and – not, not, not long after that, the darkness went from Mark Silvestri to somebody else, and nothing was the same. I just couldn't find that vibe I wanted in a comic book. Right. The original vibe was lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sucks. You've seen that in X-Men. I mean, I can't tell you how many artists there are from the original X-Men to the today. There's a ton. Well, yeah, there's, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's why, I mean, those who have actually collected all of the X-Men, they have seen the evolution of the characters. They've seen the actual birth and death of certain characters in certain episodes. I came really, really, really close to having them all. Um. I actually sold them uh, to pay for Lacey's funeral. But yeah, I, I came really close to having them all. That was like four, 440 something, and I think I had like 320, I think. So I came close. Wow. I came close. That's amazing. You spent a lot of money. I did. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was big in anime versus comic books and you saw my collection back in the past and i had well over eight thousand dollars in anime oh yeah but they were they were all in vhs and i was talking to throwing them away and consequently i did 
Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that, um, you know, you, you gave, you honored me with the, the term of that I've, you know, showed you the writing, how fun writing was, but in the same breath that I say to you is you introduced me into the anime manga world. And if I hadn't met you, my flagship, which is a Yelp gnome, uh, would have never been created. And as far as comic book wise, a Yelp gnome is like our number one seller. And we still are working like there is somewhere because, you know, we're in the process of, of packing up or we're going to try to get moved out this month or in October. But um, I actually have a prototype action figure of a Yelp gnome. And none of that would happen if I hadn't met you because, you know, you, you introduced me to, uh, what was it, uh, Bubblegum? I think Bubblegum was the first one you introduced me to. Bubblegum Crisis? Yes. And that was one of them. That was one of them. Akira. Yeah, Akira. Uh, Ghost in the Shell. Which I own a copy of right now on Blu-ray. Yeah. I, I own the, nope. the live action and the anime. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, Ghost in the Shell has encouraged everybody. If it wasn't for Ghost in the Shell, we wouldn't even have The Matrix. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Okay, well, believe it or not, we are at the 43 minute and 30 seconds of our 45 minute show. <laughs> so we are actually almost at the end of this. Um, I want to sincerely thank you for coming in. Uh, is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about or, or tackle or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Nothing I can think of. We've covered just about everything. Yeah. Like I said, we, we literally we started back in high school and, and got to where you're at now. Um, the the final thing is is we, we are in negotiations, and uh, if it's all right to say, if not, I can cut this out, is that you will be moving forward the director for the Open Contract Challenge starting in February of 2021. Uh <laughs> And so you're, you're part of the Jaiselmon Dark Myth Company now. Finally. I finally got you in. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for coming in and chit-chatting. Uh, it's, it's been a blast. It's always fun to, to reminisce about when you're just young and dumb, you know? <laughs> oh, we all learn from our mistakes. Oh, yeah. And so move forward. All right, well, that's it for this week, gang. Uh, come back next. Well, you know what? I actually have some news. So we might actually do a two-parter this week. I might put out a, a show on Thursday. We'll see what happens. So come back tomorrow, and we'll see what kind of stuff I throw out at you. So for this week, for my public life as an American nerd, I am David K. Montoya. I'm Kyle Dobbs. And as always, I bid you... And yeah.